ever been driving along the road and your mind is wandering and you don't even remember what you've passed by? Isn't that a creepy feeling? Like you can go miles and then think, wait a minute, where am I? What, what, I'm driving a vehicle that's, you know, thousands of pounds and, and, and you could just go right by your exit. You could just completely miss where you were headed because your, your mind is wandering. See, signs are put along the roads to help us find our way, but the problem is too often we're just wandering, going our own way, missing the signs all around us. And we're coming into this three-week series where we're looking at what we're calling true north, that, that God has made clear his plan, that from the beginning there was a plan all along. In some ways it's taking the, the last two weeks that God has a plan, that in the midst of the chaos, that we can trust that he is at work and doing something. But it's also getting us ready for the Christmas season, that from the very beginning of the scriptures, we see this, this message, this, this plan that God has in place to bring hope and healing to humanity. In fact, our hope in this season is that you would gain confidence in God, that you had a, a greater trust for God, because we can honestly say we live in confusing times, difficult times. We live in days where evil and injustice and corruption and lies are just obvious and pervasive. But we can trust that in spite of all that, God is at work and God's plan will prevail. God wants to intervene and heal and guide in the midst of the human struggle. And we see that he was doing this from the very beginning. We're going to start in Genesis, or sorry, in John chapter 1. John walked with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. And, and at the end of his life, he writes this book called The Gospel of John, where he writes it, he says, to help you believe. And what he says it echoes what we see in Genesis. In John chapter 1, he writes, In the beginning. Those are the first words of the Hebrew scriptures of Genesis chapter one. And he, he uses those words here and then he goes into this beautiful poem. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. As he goes on in this poem later, you discover he's talking about Jesus and he's using this idea of the word to describe him. See, a word, a word is how we express ourselves. And God expressed himself in the person of Jesus. And don't get lost in the poetry of the scriptures. Just keep pressing in and, and asking God to speak to you. And looking at the context can, can help things become more clear. But here we see John is trying to say the mystery of the creator God is that he actually walked among us. And Jesus was not created by God. He actually is God in human form. God, as we see in the scriptures, revealed as creator, as human being, as the son of God, as he's called, Jesus, and as spirit. And what we see in the scriptures is, is this dichotomy where the whole Old Testament, the, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures, is pointing towards a Messiah who's to come. And now in the New Testament, we look back at the Messiah who has come and who is coming again. 
coming again to make all things right. And some have struggled feeling like there's a difference between the God of the Hebrew scriptures, that he seems angrier. And, and Jesus is so kind and so loving. And in reality, it's the same picture, just with more clarity. See, oftentimes in the Hebrew scriptures, what is referred to as God's judgment is actually the natural consequences of God just giving his people what they wanted. He just stepped out of the way, allowing them to have what they wanted all along. But But not only is God far more loving, if you look at the Hebrew scriptures, you'll see he's compassionate and kind and incredibly patient. Sometimes this consequences of evil actions would take 400 years before it actually saw the consequences deserved. But you also see in Jesus, someone who does not put up with religious hypocrisy, who throws out the money changers at the temple that he was incredibly loving, but also was willing to bring justice to make things right. And this God, the God who created the universe, all the billions and billions and stars and galaxies and planets, also created planet Earth, created human beings to actually co-labor with him, to actually be part of the story. Listen to what it says in Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. The word Adam in Hebrew actually means humanity. The word Eve means life. What does it mean that God created humanity, created life in his image? It means you and I are creative You and I have the ability to co-rule, to be good stewards of this planet, of the animals and of other people. God actually gave us that responsibility. Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. First command in the scriptures may not be what you expected. You are free. You are free. See, you and I have been given unbelievable freedom. We've been given good gifts by God, and they're all around us. God was not trying to limit us at the very beginning, we see this. He's not trying to limit you and me even now. God wants us to truly experience freedom. Listen to the rest of the verse. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There was one tree in the entire paradise to avoid. Everything else they were free to eat from. But it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's first command is you choose. Why is this important? Why would even do this. We see the scriptures tell us God's character demonstrates that God is love. But love is a risky business even for God because love requires freedom to choose. So for God to create creatures capable of truly loving him, they had to have the freedom to reject him. God is love and God is good and the opposite of that, of of being out of God's presence 
is the knowledge of evil. See, there was one tree in paradise that would actually allow evil into what was perfect. See, the, the story predates even this moment that God created heavenly beings and in the midst of that, they too had freedom and, and one of them, it says, was so arrogant that he thought his way was better. We refer to him as Satan, the devil. And he shows up in this story. Now, I'm just gonna pause here for just a moment and acknowledge some of us aren't necessarily sure about the devil or Satan. And, and certainly, he's like a cartoon, the way we think of him, the way he's been depicted. In fact, our version of this kind of evil is more informed by Renaissance paintings than actually by the scriptures. You and I may not have seen a snake as he enters into the picture as a snake here in a moment, but I guarantee you and I have seen and experienced evil. And you might have even had, I can almost guarantee you've had diabolical evil thoughts jump into your mind that you did not put there. And if you could put a face to that, that thought, you might have described it something like a snake. This last week, we posted on our Facebook group uh, a great video. I highly encourage you to go out and watch it. You can Google it. It's called The Test by the Bible Project. And they do a good job of explaining how God in his character as loving, when he creates a, a test, it's actually an opportunity for us to trust him more, to experience more. But see, when darkness offers a test, it's actually a trap. It's called temptation. And so here in this moment, we see that darkness enters into the picture and begins to tell a lie, begins to twist what God actually says. Genesis 3, 1, this evil asks, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, he didn't say that. It's, it's a confusing way to approach Humanity, And remember, at this point, Adam and Eve are experiencing paradise. Everything is good. They walked in intimacy with God, nothing separating them from his love and peace, his joy. But God, in giving them freedom, they chose to allow evil into the story. Evil, see, in our own life, will try to deceive us, to destroy us. It's that same sort of thought that God is a killjoy and he's just trying to keep us from what is actually really fun and what's, what would make this a better life. That God wants to ruin it all. It's those kind of thoughts that keep us from trusting him. It's a lie. It's a perversion. God did not say you can't eat anything. He said the opposite. He said you can eat everything except this one tree which gives access to evil. Now, it's often thought of as like an apple, but it actually doesn't say apple. I wonder if that comes from Snow White. It was somehow it enters the picture in our mind. It's usually a red delicious apple. It's never the green ones, which I think are evil, but that's just me. But in this moment, God is saying, you are free, eat from any tree of all the trees, but, but avoid evil. Trust me on this. See, evil lies, evil has to lie in order to get us to choose something that will destroy us. 
evil lies saying that God's ways are restrictive or boring or that you'll miss out, trying to keep us from fully trusting God, that we might go our own way. But, lie, but evil also lies about the consequences. As we see here in Genesis 3, you will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman who pushed back on his temptation. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He says, you won't die. You'll be like God. It's not that bad. It won't really do any damage. Only good things will come. Now, we could get derailed in the middle of all this. There's so much, so many layers here. But I just want to point out this important point. They made a choice to allow evil into their situation. And it'd be easy to just blame Adam and Eve for all of our problems. But you know, the truth is, we choose evil far too often as well. See, you and I have the opportunity to trust God and to go his ways or to choose our own path, to, to allow those darker thoughts or even those minor perversions of the truth to keep us from experiencing God's good gifts. See, we replay what happened in the Garden of Eden every day. Every one of us participates in the fall. See, God gives each of us freedom. And in that freedom, he gave humanity over what they wanted. In the hopes that as we experience suffering and trials and difficulties, we might turn to him for help. And some of us have done that very thing. Some of us, we had no interest in God until everything seemed to start falling apart. But the beautiful thing is, even when things are good, it's a glimpse of who God is. It's a glimpse of what will be one day. We're caught in between paradise, the paradise of the Garden of Eden and the heaven and new earth that are to come. But even creation has been given over and is broken. Evil happens between humanity, but there are terrible things that happen because things are not as they will one day be. And we long for God to fix things. And one day he will make all things right. But we need to see in the story that from the very beginning, God did step in and bring a path towards healing. He would not let us eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of separation from God. He prepared a way to restore us into spiritual relationship despite our rebellion so that all who choose can be taken into eternity and will forever choose to love and follow God because we know that the lie, that the knowledge of evil is really the absence of God's goodness. We can see the perversion of what God has promised. From the very beginning, God gives signs pointing towards Jesus and his plan is to restore humanity if you know the story, Adam and Eve both eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they end up running and hiding from God. It's what we all experience now. See, God promised that there would be death. Don't eat from this or you will die. And the death initially was a spiritual death. Later, the consequences was a physical death. Death had not entered into the garden. But see, the word death actually means separation. They were separated from his loving presence. They ran and they hid and they felt 
shame for the first time. But God pursued them. And God even ends up bringing consequences that that could help determine the future. See, what I'm about to read is actually a, a prophecy in many ways of what was to come. Listen to what was said in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, he's talking to darkness, to evil, that humanity would one day, there would be a seed, there would be one born of a woman who would actually crush the head of evil, even though evil would strike his heel. As far back as Genesis, God puts signs of what he will do. The serpent who deceives Eve and Adam clearly represents evil. We see this in Revelation 12, 9, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. There's a darkness on planet earth. Things are not the way they always will be. And here God is saying the consequences of this, of this angelic evil being entering into the story of introducing evil, there are consequences as well for all of that evil. It will one day come to an end. This idea of this enmity, enmity between her offspring, that her seed, the singular word seed, would one day crush evil. That's why today we're calling this the snake crusher. From the very beginning, the first few pages of the scriptures was a prophecy of one who would one day step on and crush the serpent. And the snake crusher, doesn't it sound like a wrestling name? Were any of you into wrestling as a kid? Some of you are like, as a kid, I watch it every Tuesday night, right? When I was a kid, we'd watch it, me and my brother, and uh, it, we watched uh, the Von Erics. Anyone heard of the Von Erics? I wonder if that was a local show. I don't know if it was beyond Texas. But, but, but for us, it was real. Some of you, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to ruin anything for you. But, but for us, at the time, when we were kids, we thought it was real. I mean, it was real in our living room. We would clear it out, right? There was also Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, right? <laughs> like, there's this idea of these bigger-than-life figures that would come and... and defeat evil. There's a storyline to it. Well, the storyline here is that the snake crusher enters the picture from the very, very beginning. That one day there would be one that would crush evil and he will be worth the wait. And we have the privilege of living on this side of that epic moment in human history. The time when Jesus walked among us and took evil on himself. See, this image of a snake is, is a really scary image. I mean, even in our day and age, I don't know about you, but I am a little bit scared of snakes and all creatures, to be honest. I don't like messing with anything that's alive. And uh, we've had little raccoons and armadillos and, and squirrels are all over the place, you know, in our backyard. And, and I don't know if you remember the beginning of the quarantine. Remember when it was like kind of fun? Remember that? This feels like so long ago. You were baking bread for the first time ever. 
you were watching shows on Netflix that you couldn't wait to watch. Your family was gathering around the dinner table together. Remember that? That was so fun for like a week. <laughs> for us, we started spending time in our backyard. And, and our backyard, our old place, was really beautiful. In fact, I called it our little Garden of Eden, right? It was so beautiful. And we'd sit out in these chairs. Not these. Let me show you the next picture. We'd pull out these chairs and we'd just eat our meals and spend time together. But, but do you notice what's approaching that little chair? One day, there was a snake headed towards that chair. And my wife comes in and gets me. I'm in the middle of a meeting. She's like, you got to come out here quick. So I go out and I see the snake. And I'm, what do you want me to do? You know, like, and she's like, you got to kill it. It's like, kill it. I'll just, I'll scare it away. And, but if you scare it away, we don't know where it'll be. It might come back and get us, you know. And so I'm scared of snakes, but I'm even more scared of my wife. So I, I went outside and I, I get a shovel and I don't know what I'm going to do exactly. I remember one time my grandmother, <laughs> I learned how to kill a snake from my grandmother. Uh, she got a shovel and she just cut its head off. This was when I was like a little kid out in Lake LBJ. And uh, man, I didn't talk back to my grandmother after that for sure. But I grabbed the shovel and I'm still on a Zoom call. But you know, you, Zoom, you can like, you can mute it and you can like go off camera. So I warned him, say, hey, I got to take care of something real quick for my wife. I'll, I'll be listening. Well, I actually forgot to mute it. <laughs> I just had the camera off. So I, they could hear me running around. They didn't know what it was, but they could hear me like, ah, you know, ah, <laughs> ah, you know, like screaming as it would ride and run, jump at me. And suddenly I could hear the people on the Zoom call laughing at me. They like said, Eric, we can hear whatever it is you're doing. And what is it that you're doing, you know? And I showed him a picture. Here's the picture. I, I, I defeated the snake. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I killed that little guy. I found out later it was not poisonous. Google sent us to the wrong picture. It's a little rat snake. Yeah, I really felt bad about that because I ate rats even more than snakes. <laughs> but see, this evil wrapped up in a snake from the very beginning, the serpent, it, 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 the story is telling us that evil will one day bite the heel of the snake crusher, right? Uh, the way that, that a snake is destructive is it actually bites the heel and poison enters into your bloodstream and is what kills you. See, Jesus walked among us. His feet got dirty. And as he walked among us, he actually willingly took upon himself the evil of humanity. It's like his body was filled with the poison of evil as he died on the cross. And it killed him. It was a fatal blow. Satan and, and all evil thought they had won. They destroyed the son of God. But he rose on the third day, defeating evil. They had not won. They had killed his body, but he was alive because of the power of God's love and his spirit. And here's what's amazing. When you and I say yes to following Jesus, we actually have access to that same power that rose Jesus from the dead. The same spirit comes to live within us and guide us. And we do not have to be victims of evil any longer. We can actually overcome the evil temptations that come our way. Listen to this. In Romans 16, verse 20, it says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This was 
a church planner, a pastor named Paul who was writing some of his friends. He was telling them, you follow Jesus and under your feet, you too can crush evil. See, Genesis 3 is called the Proto-Evangelion. It's a, a longer Greek phrase that is saying it's the first gospel, the first message of God's work through Jesus to overcome evil. And it shows up in the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis chapter three. Written down 3,400 years before Jesus. Telling the story from well before that. God is overcoming evil and has had a plan in place. And it happens by Jesus himself walking and allowing himself to take on this evil and overcoming that evil. And then that spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God living within each of us. And we become those who crush evil, those who overcome. Now, if you know the rest of the story in Genesis, it was then as God found Adam and Eve who are shamed and hiding and naked, he actually killed an animal. It's the first death, physical death in the scriptures, a first sacrifice. And he used the skin of this animal to cover their shame. Another example of the sacrifice that one day Jesus would become. When you and I say yes to Jesus, we share in the victories of Jesus over evil. In Jesus, we have authority to crush the works of evil, the lies, the addiction, the obsessions, the hate, the contempt, the lies. Not in our power, but in the power of God. God crushes evil. God did something about evil, but not in the way that you would expect. He didn't come and oppress the oppressors or bring violence on the violent. He absorbed evil into himself. He died to self. And those of us who follow Jesus, we're called to die to self. We're every day supposed to give up our own will and instead follow God's will. We're the ones that take the high road. We don't take revenge. We forgive. When temptation comes, we die to self. We say no. We choose God's ways, even when everyone else might be going the other way. We love the unlovable. We lift up the oppressed and the hurting and those who are in need. We bring new life everywhere we go. We bring glimpses of heaven everywhere we go. Now what we see is the rest of the story, just a few chapters later, that in order for this message of God's power over evil, God's ways defeating evil's ways, God chooses a people so that through these people, they might be blessed and every nation would be blessed. We don't have a slide for this, but just listen to this verse. It says this in Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, who we'll look at more next week, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and all families on earth will be blessed through you. See, God chooses Abram to bless him and his family and through that family, every nation would be blessed. That nation would become known as Israel, the Jewish people. And God created a covenant with a people. The perfect heavenly father 
enters into a loving relationship with a people who did not deserve it. See, none of humanity deserves that kind of attention and kind of love, that kind of forgiveness. And through the Jewish people, they recorded and preserved God's words through the prophets. And they foretold preparing people for God's self-revelation as the Messiah. That's what the Hebrew scriptures are doing. They're pointing towards the one who was to come to rescue us, to defeat evil. We see this in Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus. One of the prophets wrote this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 53, starting in verse five. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many. 700 years before Jesus, the Hebrew scriptures talked of one who would take upon himself the iniquity of us all, that he would suffer, but after that he would receive the light, he would see the light of life, he would be raised from the dead. That each of us has gone our own way and yet we are offered a new way in following after God. See, God created you on purpose and for a purpose. He put you at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gave you the best opportunity to know him. See, God loves you and wants you to have victory over the evil that comes after us. But it begins in a relationship with him. See, just as he created a covenant between himself and Abraham, he offers a, a relationship, a covenant with you and me. It's not deserved, but it's simply agreed upon when we say, yes, I need you in my life, God. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never made that step to do so in this season, to find one that is closer than a brother in the midst of such a trying and difficult time. And you'll begin to look backwards and see that God was actually with you all along. And if you've been following after God, I wanna encourage you to pursue him more now, more than ever, to connect with God. Let me give you three very practical takeaways from this passage. Connect with God. That's the way things were intended. God and humanity in a loving relationship. We don't have to live as victims of the evil and brokenness of our world he offers us a way into that relationship. And spend time with God. Get to know his voice through the scriptures, through prayer, through connecting and worship. In fact, this Friday night, you can stream wherever you live at your house or get together with your life group and watch together as we come together in worship and communion, singing out who God is, even when we don't feel like it taking communion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. Number two, live set apart with a purpose. Just as the people of Israel had a tremendous number of laws that helped them look differently and live differently, we have something within us, the Spirit of God, that allows us to live differently than the rest of the world around us. And we do that so that others might see our life and want what we have. They would see the love and the peace and the joy and want that. But you know what? It's too hard to pull this off on our own. 
That's why it's so important to let others into your life, whether it's serving others or in groups with others. In fact, you can just get started and get connected by texting the word connect to the number you see on the screen. And it's also telling others about Jesus. In fact, helping your children, if you have kids or if you have teenagers, you have two websites that are resources to help you help others connect with God, to connect with Jesus. I, I, I wonder, have any of you already put up your Christmas stuff? You can admit it. Some of you hands went straight up, yeah? Even people without faith, even people who don't necessarily believe in the Christmas story or know the Christmas story are talking about Christmas. I mean, Home Alone 2 was on TV last night, right? It's, it seems far too soon for Christmas, or is it not coming soon enough? Because what Christmas represents is that God is with us. We're not alone, that he's come for us. That hope and that joy that we celebrate at a certain time of year is actually offered to us every single moment of every single day. There are people around you that you work with in your neighborhood that need the hope of Christmas. And what they don't know is behind that is a relationship with God. And his name is Jesus. Invite them to come on a Sunday or to watch. You know how easy it is? Just tell them to open their laptop and watch on a Sunday. And with an open heart and mind, they might discover that God loves them, that they can find peace from him. Or maybe there's somebody that God puts on your heart that you know you need to have a conversation with. They've been struggling and you want to share with them what has happened for you, that you found life. You found hope. You found Jesus. So what I wanted you to do in this moment, the band is going to lead us in a song. And this song, any song that we sing can be like a declaration. It can be like a prayer that we're praying that God would make a way for us to overcome evil in our own life to become the person he wants us to be. So I wanna just invite you in this moment to stand with us and sing this out with us as a prayer as you consider the next step he has for you. Let's stand.